So what's going on podcast, it's Paul here back with another episode and I'm hoping that this episode here gives you value in two different ways. This here is an interview that I recently gave with the Matron. hopefully a few things I share within it can give you value, but secondly just an introduction into the Matron, who they are. They are a suicide respite centre based down in London and I really think it's such a great concept, something that maybe we need more of because looking back to my dad's experience when he was struggling, he was then sectioned into a mental health unit, obviously on the NHS and it really wasn't a nice place. I've heard recently as well, people still have bad experiences with it now, even sort of 10 years later and looking at my dad as a person, I don't believe that environment was very good for him at that moment in need. But maybe if he went to a respite center, something with more of a holistic approach, started to tailor maybe an approach, a treatment to him as he is as a person rather than treating him as a patient, maybe he would have got more help. So I just want to kind of introduce you to Matri. Um, I've seen them for a while. So it was amazing when they reached out to me. And hopefully, like I say, this interview gives you some value. Let's jump in. So my name is Dee and I'm from Matri. We're a charity uh, that also works with individuals that are experiencing suicidal thoughts and feelings. And I came across you, Paul, um, online and I thought, oh my gosh, I have to get, I have to have an interview, I have to kind of get involved in what you're doing and, and try to kind of make you involved in what we're doing. So for everyone who doesn't know who you are, could I ask you to give us an introduction of, of who you are, what you do and what your story kind of is? Yeah, so the short story of it is um, at the moment what I do is I do a lot of awareness around mental health. I create a lot of content on on social media. I've just had a a book published as well talking about standing up to suicide and raising awareness around mental health. Now, one of the reasons why Mm -hmm. I do that is nine years ago, I lost my dad very suddenly to suicide and really struggled to deal with it personally and started a business, kept myself busy, distracted myself like most people do when they don't want to deal with something that painful. And yeah, kind of, you know, as time went on, I I wanted to kind of use that knowledge in business and social media that I had from the fashion industry, which I originally started, to try and raise more awareness around mental health. So that's kind of what I do now. Amazing. So I've kind of prepared some questions. I hope you don't mind. Of course. Um, and I've, I've done a little bit of research on you. So oh, no. <laughs> tell us about, <laughs> had to. So tell us about your men's fashion magazine. How I wanted to know um, if you found a way um, within your magazine to discuss mental health on that platform, even though you're speaking about fashion. Mm. Is there a way that in fashion you can still um, identify with mental health issues? Yeah, I think, number one, don't grow a terrible moustache and look like this. Um, unless you're doing Movember, which I'm doing, so for anyone realising. No, um, the magazine, for me, the magazine was, and personally, I used Dressing Well as a way of dealing with my struggles. And mm-hmm. so improving my appearance helped with my confidence and it helped with um, what I was going through. But it's always short-lived you know because you might get a compliment but if you don't feel good in yourself it doesn't actually last very long um and yeah the magazine was me giving people advice and i had a team of writers at one point giving people advice men in particular about what they should wear to essentially try and improve people's confidence um and then yeah there came a time where i wanted to start being a little bit more vocal about about mental health and I, st- 
tried to integrate that into the magazine. Um, mm. But I always found it very difficult, like to balance the two, even though they're so connected in my eyes. Yeah. You know, some guys just wanted the style advice. Some guys like the mental health stuff. Um, but yeah. there definitely is a crossover between it. Mm. But yeah, I did struggle to kind of get them both out there. Amazing. Um, so, you know, with the fashion and creative industries, there's, there's so much mental health mm. um, conversations that are now starting to happen, you know, in the industry and, and we're starting to normalize the conversations of, around mental health. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that movement? I think it's good. And I think it just ha needs to happen on a more global scale, whether it's the fashion industry or creative industries or sort of corporate environments. Um, mm -hmm. It just needs to happen. There needs to be this more open conversation around mental health in schools as well in particular. It just has to happen on a more global scale rather than specific industries. And like you said, it's starting to happen slowly. Um, but for so, me, you know, it's it's still slow and it still needs to be talked about a lot more. And of course as well, you know, hopefully more prevention and education needs to be delivered on, on mental health as well. Great, yeah. Um, so I've been looking at kind of the relationship uh, between people that experience suicidal thoughts and feelings with people that are actually bereaved. And, you know, what's come up is that there's quite a big link in between the two. So how did your bereavement kind of affect your mental health? Yeah, really good question. Um, so, yeah, when, when my dad... So my dad's suicide was very sudden. So he, I always say he had everything on paper and he went from, you know, my dad who we knew that he had a, psychi a psychology degree, he was a qualified physiotherapist, an engineer. Um, he went from someone who we all thought was happy to just break in and very quickly going into a depression and then very quickly after that attempting suicide for the first time. Um, and when he did when he did um, take his own life yeah it was so hard to deal with and my biggest fear was and still is is that I'd end up like my dad and as you said there's been a lot of studies that have shown that people that are bereaved by suicide are more at risk of taking their own life as well mm -hmm. um, so the negative side of it is after he did die I did really struggle I, I got into really low points personally and I think it was more me trying to figure out how he could do it and trying to get to maybe the headspace that he was in when he did take his life and yeah. just because it was so scary of how quick it happened it just scared me like, you know I saw it happen to him and I thought this can happen to me it can happen to anyone um, but from a positive perspective now it has to ma it makes me more aware of it like I have to be on top of it like I know that it's happened to my dad. I've seen it happen to him. I need to be on top of it so it doesn't happen to me. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, again, I think there's a lot of more resources and support need to be made available for the families that have been affected by someone taking their own life as well. So was there any support for you at that time, do you feel? Did you have anywhere you could turn to, anyone you could talk to, or anywhere you could go, or your family? Not really, no. I mean, I think I think they, we were offered to go and speak to maybe Cruz Bereavement, I think it was. Um, but again, it comes at a time when you just don't want to talk. It comes at a time when it's only just happened and you can't think of anything worse than talking. Um, but yeah, as you say, there was no real support after that. And for me, it was yeah. always hard because, you know, me, my mum, my brother, we're a very close family. 
but I didn't I didn't want to talk to them about it because they were going through it as well so I didn't want right. to tell my mum how bad I was feeling because I felt I would burden her and you know she was dealing with her own emotions with it as well so you end up mm. you know t- not talking to anyone um, and there's a lot of support groups out there for people but they're not very widely known and yeah of course and again, just just going on to that point, I had a, a guy at school that I went, a guy that I went to school with, and we weren't that we were friends, but we weren't like best friends. And mm-hmm. he lost his dad to suicide, probably about a year before. And mm-hmm. when my dad died by suicide, the first person I thought to talk to was him, because mm-hmm. he'd experienced it. And mm. this was back on MSM Messenger back in the day. And I just, I had him on yeah. there and I messaged him and we had a few little messages back and forth. And that, that was quite comforting for me because he mm. said it does get better. And I think if I could have spoke to more people that have maybe been bereaved by suicide at that time, it could have helped. Definitely. So on a more of a personal level, um, what did your dad actually symbolize to you? What did your dad you know, mean to you at that time when you lost him, you know, I really want to really home in on, you know, the, 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 um, the loss that you actually experienced. I think it's, it's easy to say, you know, someone's, you know, passed by suicide, but it's kind of, we also forget how it actually affects people. And as that was your dad, you know, what did it, what did it symbolize to you? What did it mean to you? How did it really change your life? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, answered a similar question yesterday and it was one of the first times I actually had to think about it um, he was he was just he was just uh, honestly like I, I looked up to him a lot and with my dad my dad was always busy and I think that was one of his issues he obviously was distracting himself from something that he had going on that none of us knew anything about um, but he was just such a compassionate person he's I mean his funeral the car park got closed because there was no more spaces, there was people standing. He was literally just, we were just bombarded with people that, you know, adored him. Um, and the the struggle that I had was just knowing that I would never ever see him again. Like knowing that I would never ever like speak to him or see him. And like, I was 18, nearly 19. And it was at a time where I was like, he's never gonna be a granddad. Like, I don't wanna ever get married because dad's never going to be there um and that's just grief in itself you know just knowing that you've lost that person and you'll never be able to see them again is quite a painful experience of course i can yeah i can imagine um and how do you feel that you've kind of been able to practice healthy you know mental health and well-being how do you think yeah i'm talking so like I always explain the story about how I dealt with my dad's suicide very badly and I just simply did what he did in the fact that I just distracted myself from it. I, I, I knew that it happened, but I didn't want to know that it happened, so I just um, distracted myself. Like I went to I went clubbing like six days after I think it was and you know, put on that put on that mask, put on that brave face and told everyone that I was doing okay. I started the business, worked every hour that I could. Um, chased sort of materialistic items trying to boost that status and I was just running away from it and then there was a time that came that I was really struggling and the doctors sort of advised that I went on to antidepressants I didn't want to do that Um, they then got me to see a counsellor that didn't really work for me 
I saw a psychiatrist. I think privately that didn't really work for me. And then I found mm-hmm. myself um, speaking to a lady called Anne, who was um, an holistic therapist. And there's a strange right. story behind it. Like I've explained it before where um, Amy, my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, said, you need to go and see this lady. She's really weird. She knows stuff about everyone that they, they don't know. And I was, drawn, right. I was drawn to that at 21 for some strange <laughs> reason. Um, and I, went, I purely went there for a back problem because she gave like a holistic massage and... Yeah, Anne was like a, at the time about sixty-five year old, four foot five lady who, on the second or third session, asked me outright, like, "Why are you here? Like, tell me the real reason you're here." And then I, I told her everything about my dad and how I was feeling, and sort of, um, how many years? Seven years later, I don't see her as much as I used to then, but I still see her now. And I think just talking, understanding, reading, sort of accepting, forgiving as well, my dad, and forgiving me, like all of that's helped massively. But yeah, it was kind of um, a long process of being able to get to where I am today and talk so openly about it. Wow. You use the word forgiveness, so I'm, I'm going to kind of latch onto that word and um I know that when people are bereaved, they usually do feel loads of, there's like so many different stages of grief. And of course, you know, feeling that they have to, you know, come to a point of forgiveness, it almost suggests that there's something that you felt that you had to forgive your dad for. What what did you feel that that was? Was it, what was it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. And forgiveness for me was so key. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I blame my dad for a long period of time. And mm-hmm. It's not understanding. It's not understanding suicide. It's not understanding depression. And for me, the only thing I saw was he'd left us. Like he'd chosen to, to put this pain on me, my brother, my mum, and and the whole family. And um, I was just angry. And I think anger is a form of grief anyway. But I was angry towards my dad. Um, and I've I've spoke about it in videos and blog posts how I was ashamed in a way, and I lied about it. So when someone would say about my dad and I would say, you know, my dad's not alive anymore, they would ask how. Um, I would purely just say, oh, he died in a road accident, you know, rather than telling them how. And purely that a lot of that, that um, me lying was to protect him and protect my family because I thought they would judge us. Um, yeah. And also I didn't want the awkward conversations that normally follow when you wench and the word suicide. Um, yeah. So yeah, there was a lot of lot of anger towards my dad, and it took a little while to forgive him. And then there's also a lot of anger towards myself. Like, could I have done something different? Could could yeah. I have, you know, done something different that meant that he was still alive today? Yeah. So yeah, forgive forgiving him and forgiving myself was massive. Absolutely, and I know a lot of people they do struggle with um, accessing um, kind of clinical services and and like medicines and things and a lot of people do opt for the holistic uh, approach to their mental health how how do you feel like I'm guessing that you've kind of experienced both of those you know those different environments what did you find and, and how could you advise somebody you know it's almost a little bit traumatic for somebody if they feel suicidal feelings and then they go to their doctor and it doesn't help how would you say to that person hey you know keep trying different things and and how would you express from your perspective the different experiences i think the earlier someone can do it the better so like my dad was just 
it's hard to it's always hard to accept and I still believe my dad could still be alive if he did get more support but I think my dad needed support a lot earlier by the time my yeah. dad had that breakdown I think he was just at a stage where um, very little would have helped it was almost like he'd just passed that stage so I think if someone's you know listening to this or reading this or um, you know try and get that help early early on whether it's just like you say taking like just just trying something different whether it's talking or, or writing or, or exercising more or thinking about your nutrition or doing some reading like investigating into um, you know whatever kind of you lead, you're, you're led to um the earlier you can do it the better but yeah for me again like my dad was very holistic like my dad was a, a very physically healthy man he was a very good runner um i remember he always used to some of the best advice i've ever had was from him you know like follow your heart don't don't follow your head and um you know if i had a headache i'd be like dad you know i need some paracetamol he was saying no 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 go for a walk or have some more water like you don't need to take you know tablets to cure a headache and you know when my dad hit that critical point obviously he went to the doctors and you know all he was given was uh, you know antidepressants um so i think the approach of my dad that i look back on now is he probably would have been better with a more holistic approach you know he'd, yeah. he's he'd lost his sleep patterns were starting to you know mess up before he's stop going running and all of these things that he loved doing he wasn't doing and I think mm. it sounds silly because my dad was probably maybe past that stage but maybe he did just need like a hand on the shoulder and say you know, things will get better like you know maybe try this again or or how's your nutrition and I think mm-hmm. that would have worked a lot better for my dad but everyone's different you know everyone's so different and that's why mental health's hard is because everyone is different yeah so thanks for your honesty um so when you're talking about your parent you're a parent and and i always think it's really interesting when you consider you know the kind of maintaining mental health or positive mental health whilst you're being a parent so whilst you're responsible for these you know two you've got two children right yeah 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 Um, so whilst you're responsible for these two like lives and you feel responsible for them and they give you so much, how do you, how would you advise parents that, you know, are having ongoing, um, you know, issues with their mental health? How would you advise them? How would you say to keep on top of their mental health? How would you promote mental health to them? It's a good point. And I definitely want to touch more on this topic. Um, so like one, like being a, being a dad was a huge driver for me. So Freddie is um, my stepson. So I met him when he was about eighteen months, um, yeah. and now he's nine. So oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, Teddy, we've got Freddie and Teddy. It sounds cute, but it's not. <laughs> I love it. Like I, I'm getting their names wrong already, and I'm only twenty eight. Um, Teddy <laughs> is Teddy is two, and they're so different. But yeah, it's only been sort of the last two years where. I've got so much more it sounds you hear it all the time like when you become a parent your life changes but what I do in terms of mental health is a lot for them because I don't want them to have to suffer in silence I don't want them to be sort of 16 18 or older and not have the support there for them that wasn't there for my dad um but the the way that I look at it is it's one of the hard it's the hardest job ever like the hardest job ever and um luckily Amy my wife does most of it I, I, I do a lot and you know 
my dad was very he worked nine to five and then he'd come home and work and my mum was literally just you know she was there for everything me and my brother ever did um yeah. and i'm more of a I, st- I work from home so I'm, I'm there a lot more than my dad was ever there and mm-hmm. sometimes i just think wow this is like a full-time job in itself just being a parent is a full-time job in itself but the the, the way that i look at it and again this is something that's normally frowned upon is i i come first like i have yes. to come first if, if i i can feel it if i'm struggling i'm a, i'm not i'm not a great dad like if i'm yeah. not doing as well with how i'm feeling i'm sharp i'm not really present with them i'm not a great sort of figure to them to look up to if i'm looking after myself if i have time for self-care if i do more of what i want to do i'm a much better parent and that really does rub off on them and again i think when you hear that that you put yourself first before your children people take it the wrong way but it's not i would do anything for my kids i would do anything for my kids but i have to look after me first because you know i can't be the best dad that i can be without me being the best person that i can be Absolutely, yeah. So bringing it back to family, um, I have a real, yesterday I went to an event and it was um, discussing men's mental health and it was really interesting, uh, men kind of addressing the differences between men and women and how women express themselves and how men, you know, feel the need to suppress and I've actually got a twin brother so the way I was raised was to see my brother literally as an extension of myself almost so the kind of male female thing to me didn't really exist um and what that what that meant for me was that I guess often I acted in a way that was just out of how I'd act for myself but it kind of didn't allow my brother to be a, a guy in society and he kind of hated me for it um and what I was asking yesterday which I wanted to ask you was how us as women can actually support you as men in the best way so you know often i would kind of take the lead and assume i knew what was best but what would you say is a way that women can actually actively support the men in their lives amazing question and i love that whole well i'll have to ask you that maybe after about the whole you and your brother like i'm I'm, I'm obsessed with like how you're twins and you've both probably been brought up very similarly but he's probably a lot different to you um yes yeah how can women support men i think it's i think it's it's women and men but men and men and men towards women it's supporting is the key word like mm. a lot of the times we try and fix the other person um yeah. so like with my dad all i wanted to do was fix my dad like i just wanted to take that pain away i just wanted to fix him and it all go back to normal but sometimes when we try and fix them we make it worse whereas yeah. like supporting showing them love um, helps a lot more so I think mm-hmm. as well it's it's like that detachment from the other person so like if you're a woman trying to um, help your a man like your husband or your brother it's knowing that you can only do so much and not putting as much pressure onto them um, mm. but being there when they need you to be there mm. if that makes sense which is difficult as well because it's ma- it's um, a conversation that came up, yeah, was that men tend to withdraw. And when men do t- tend to withdraw, I've always found that women, we kind of we kind of 
can be a little bit annoying, isn't it? So when men are withdrawing, we're kind of like, no, no, come back, come, come, don't do that. And it's almost a little bit annoying because I know that my mum annoys me when I just want her to go away. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, as a man, how do you feel that, like, you know, particularly even your partner or even just, or even just a female friend, what would be something that you might find comforting in that moment? Is it acknowledging that they've acknowledged, they, they've accepted that you've withdrawn and they're saying, hey, I know that you're withdrawing? Or what would, what would you know, what would help? That's it. Sorry. No, that, that's yeah. it. It's, it's understanding. It's like compassion. Right. Like I always say, if we, if we could sprinkle compassion on every GP, you know, mm-hmm. I think things would change. Um, but again, you know, I'm not, I'm not blaming GPs. Everyone's completely different. But I think compassion mm-hmm. is so important. Like Anne who yeah. helped me, she wasn't a qualified counsellor or psychiatrist. She just was someone who had experienced a lot in her own life and just had so much compassion. And she didn't, mm. like counselling didn't work for me because I almost felt like they were forcing it out of me. Like I was there ready for them to fix me and, and they were trying to get something out of me. I went to Anne for just a back problem and she just listened and she made it a safe space for me to then talk. Um, yeah. So I think with, yeah, I, I think about like with my relationship as well, like Amy knows me now that if I'm closed off she will sometimes leave it but if she then comes like you say and understands and says I understand that you know you seem a little bit closed off at the moment is there anything you want want to talk about um it's then it's then down to the man to be able to talk back um but yeah as you say sometimes when the the, the man is is closed off and the the woman is is trying to like get something out of them or trying to change them it can sometimes have an adverse effect it can sometimes make it a little bit worse Mm. Wow, thank you for that. I was really, I really wanted to know that, and I did get some really good perspectives on it yesterday. So what did they say? Really... I'm interested to hear what they said. Um, so the feedback that I heard was that men just want someone to be there to support. Uh, it's a lot about the support. It wasn't necessarily about feeling the need to say the right things, but more so being present and letting somebody know that you were present with them in that moment and that you, you were there if they needed you mm-hmm. so not interfering not interjecting not thinking that you had the answer just being very present and i think that's something that as a woman i kind of struggled <laughs> yeah no <laughs> so I, I, I think that's perfect and i think um it's, it's also so hard because again it comes down to the same thing that i said about being a parent like when yeah. you're when you're in that relationship or whether it's you and your brother or you and anyone it's like if you're if you're happy enough within yourself you don't feel like you need to fix them like you want yeah. you want them to feel better um mm-hmm. but yeah it's like giving them that support but mm-hmm. sometimes when like you say you try and fix it because you want it to get better it can sometimes mm-hmm. you know make it worse but it's, it's the most complicated thing i think i've ever had to yeah. experience and i think anyone will have to experience and everyone's so yeah. different as well everyone is yeah and i and i guess all, all we can really do is is share our experiences in hopes that for someone it kind of goes ah that's that's a way that's something i'll try um yeah i wanted to also know that thinking about you know the idea of support um what support did you have around you um that kind of when you were going through what you were going through how important was that support and what type of support did you have around you yeah um i had so I always found it hard after the funeral. So when it first happens, obviously, you know, I remember I told my best friend and then I said to him, look, can you tell everyone? And then, you know, you get floods of support and floods of messages. And like I said, at my dad's funeral, there was loads of people there. 
but the hardest thing was after the funeral because that support does dry up and not that it's anything against the you know your friends but you know they want you to move on with your own life and I was showing that I was ready to move on with my own life but yeah going back to work and um, you know I just put that mask on straight away and just didn't talk about it um, my mum I knew I could always talk to my mum but like I said I didn't really want to burden her um, so yeah there wasn't a huge amount of support like but a lot of that was me just not wanting the support at the time but yeah like I said it was just trying as much as I possibly could and um, like I said reaching out to the guy from school and then I think I spoke to someone else who'd lost their dad to suicide and then you know as time went on I then found myself you know talking to Anne but I tried a counsellor before that I tried a psychiatrist um, it was just it was just trying as much as I possibly could but I think if I had more support there and if my family had more support there it would have been a lot easier to deal with Mm. Amazing. Um, so what do you think about this is a bit of a this is an interesting question. What do you think about the narrative of mental health? You mm. know, I always hear a lot of people uh, speaking about mental health and you know I'm always almost guilty of it myself, almost speaking about mental health as though it's an issue and saying, Oh, mental health issues and mental health and it's all it almost it almost always comes with a negative connotation and what do you think about that narrative and, and do you think there's any way that we could kind of find a way to break it down a little bit so what do you think of the word mental like what does mental mean to you mental you know when i when i hear that word i always think of when someone's going mental and when someone's going mental you almost you say someone's going mad. That's, that's what we say, isn't it? Oh, she was going mental. And we imagine this person in mania, you know, almost. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, men- mental health, like you mm. say, it still has that negative yeah. around it. Um, mm. And one thing that I'm trying to get across now is just how we, we all have it. Like, we all have physical health, we all have mental health. Now, it might not be called mental health, you might call it emotional well-being, or you might call it mindset, or, um, you know, but everyone has... Yeah, everyone everyone has thoughts, everyone has a mind, everyone has to deal with um, mental health. And Mm -hmm. as you say, there's still that stigma that surrounds it. And I've spoke about it before, this whole statistic that, you know, one in four suffer with mental health. Um, and I always say now it's it's one in one like we all have it instead of trying to look for the one person suffering or judging ourselves because we are that one in four that are suffering understand that everyone has it like we all have it on different levels of course you know you've got more severe mental illness and then you've got maybe someone who's struggling with stress or someone who's struggling with you know a small form of anxiety but Right. The, tr- the truth of it as you say is, is that we all have it and for me mm. like we're so open about talking about physical health but we're still so close about talking about mental health and I think that needs to change it doesn't have to mm. become cool cool's not the right word but there needs to be more of a you know not such a negative attachment to the word mental health and I think that way more people will talk and more people will seek help mm-hmm. great so it brings me to my final, final question. And it's it's back to you. Uh, your experiences, um, where they've led you, what, what does the future hold for you? What is the, what's the next step? What's the plan? Is there a plan? Is there anything else you would love to do? You know, what's the next 
stepping stone for you and your fa- and your family actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had a like like I said I started um, the online business like nine years ago and it was an on- it was online. I really studied social media and. Um, you know, my then business became um, consulting and lecturing for social media for fashion businesses. And then mm-hmm. sort of uh, about six months ago, a year ago, I just thought I was ready then. I was like, I want to use those skills to bring more awareness to mental health. And I've just been doing that. So I share daily content on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, YouTube. I do blogs. I've written a book. Um, I do speaking. And for me, it's at the moment just trying to do as much as I possibly can. And mm-hmm. the main thing that I'm learning now is this is something that I want to do for as long as I need to do it. And I'm just trying to be as patient as I possibly can. So I, I will continue doing what I'm doing. I don't, I don't make any money from, I make, you know, sometimes I make money from speaking, but, mm-hmm. you know, I put a lot of time and effort in, into the content that I create. Um, but yeah I'm in no rush to I, I, honestly it's like just continue doing what I'm doing and hopefully like the, the awareness will rise and rise and rise and like I said it, it, it comes down to one um, knowing now that my dad could still be alive and, and trying to help people that was maybe in his position but to just yeah. knowing that I want to set up a better future for, for, for my children and also as well my grandchildren because at the moment mental health there's a crisis and it's not set up well for them and yeah. I think you know it's going to be a generation thing it's not going to happen overnight so by the mm-hmm. time hopefully they're 28 and then you know I've got grandkids hopefully there'll there'll hopefully be some change so yeah that's that's the plan and and I'll continue doing it whilst I'm happy and I'm enjoying it and loving it and knowing that I'm helping people but if it ever does affect yeah. me then I'll, I'll step back for a bit absolutely yeah because you're going to put yourself first and that's that's the most important thing 100 and, and i'm like a, I'm, I'm very i struggled a couple of months ago because obviously as things started to get more and more you know people started to see a lot more stuff i used to get a lot of messages and i'd read i still do i read every single message but being an empath i read every single message and slept thinking about people's struggles and you know people's stories and i I did like a road trip where we sort of drove around the UK and met loads of people and everyone tells me their story and I just found myself like very overwhelmed and just I took everything on so yeah now again it's like practicing that I'm I'm learning detachment and knowing that I can help people as much as I possibly can but I'm only one person and you know I have to like you say look after myself as well absolutely well Thank you so much no for worries. your time. I really, really appreciate it. And also, um, I want to shave this in, in. I want to shave yeah. this now, but I've got another fifteen days. Oh, <laughs> it's is terrible. it getting in the way? Is it getting annoying yet? I don't know. I, I feel like I, it's one of those that I'm, I can feel like I can stroke it whilst I'm thinking creatively now, but I don't think it's that oh, long. Yeah. Yet. I need. Quite I want to. Yeah, you know, one of those where you can sort of. <laughs> but I just I've got terrible facial hair there's one thing I didn't didn't inherit it was good facial hair but. it's okay I think it looks great I think more I hope I've got I've seen a lot of my friends having the November moustache and I think it's great <laughs> I've got a one if I could yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the thing that's the difficulty <laughs> but no <laughs> thank, thank you for thank you for um for having me on I really do appreciate it and I love I love the work that you, you guys are doing as well 
thank you that that, that means a lot as well that does uh, I, I think not many people do are aware of what made you do but I don't know again I'm I'm new to this role and I literally started and I was just like wow this is just incredible and uh, I just feel moved by what we do here and when I go to the house um, hopefully you'll come to one of those yeah days, no I definitely want to come down it's a great environment it's so calm and you know everyone there is so understanding and it's just it's a house where you go in and you literally feel so calm but it looks like a normal regular house like yeah. there's soap in there there's a kitchen it's just it's it's just lovely and it doesn't feel clinical it doesn't feel it doesn't feel kind of like you're going into something where there's going to be someone with notepad pen and pad and going you know what's your problems it, and i think it just, just feels just, like a just sorry to interrupt, but I think that would have helped my dad so much. Like my dad was, yeah. um, you know, set, he sectioned himself, and mm. he was in you know a mental health unit, which was like I always say it was like ten minutes from where I lived. I never even knew it existed because it's at the back of the hospital. But right. the environment that he was in, I think to, I went we went to visit him every single day, and I think personally now being a dad, if I was in that environment, it would bring me down. Like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a nice place to be, um, and like you say, I've I've heard of work. I've never been there, but I've heard of the work you 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 guys are doing, and I yeah. think that in, the environment affects our mental health so much mm -hmm. that we need like that more, like you say, positive environment, more of like a safer environment. Yeah. Well, thank you. So I really hope that that interview brought you some value in some way. I really appreciate you listening all the way to the end. And I think it's so important what the matri do. Smaller sanctuaries, smaller respite cares, also as well the smaller charities. It really, really hits home with me once again that these small charities, these you know, people that have been affected by suicide, by mental health, that are then taking responsibility themselves to try and make change. It's almost like they're all picking up the slack of what the government's not doing, what the NHS isn't providing. And it really is shocking that we have to have things like the Matri, like smaller charities picking up the slack because it's not being provided by the government. And as I always say, it's black and white right in front of them right now. Suicide's the biggest killer of young people. Suicide's the biggest killer of men under the age of 50. It's killing more people than, than it ever has done. And, um, you know, if this was a physical illness, killing more young people, killing the next generation, there would be huge amounts of funding, huge amounts of media attention, a lot of resources put in place, a lot of research, a lot of education, but they're still turning a blind eye. And it's not fair that someone like the Matri, like the smaller charities, are having to pick up that slack. If you do agree, please leave a rating and a review. The more rating and reviews we can get to this podcast, the more people are going to see it, the more exposure it's going to get in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you leave that rating and a review. So if this has given you value in some way, if I've ever given you value in some way, then please, a rating and a review massively helps. Signing out. Have a good one. Speak soon.